0: Uh, Before I get started with the sermon, I want to thank James, where did James go? James Tavon, who just disappeared, uh, and Joe, for helping with uh, salting the parking lot. Uh, um... Is that golf applause or what? Yay! I I made the mistake of not stopping by yesterday to see just uh, how much of a hockey rink the uh, parking lot was. Uh, So that was my mistake. And thanks to James and Joe for working hard this morning to hopefully make things a little less treacherous. But please, please do be careful. And I expect to meet with uh, the pastor of the church that owns this building uh, this week and uh, discuss with him the importance of adequately salting the parking lot. Because whatever money you may be saving on salt, you might be spending on fixing people's cars when they run into each other if things are too icy. Anyway, uh, so thank you to James. Uh, last week, so we're, we're, in, we're in Romans, Paul's uh, letter to the Romans, chapter 14, uh, and we are dealing in this section of Romans, chapter 14, the beginning of 15, with the phenomenon of adiaphora. Now, does anybody remember what adiaphora are? That's right. As, as Rob just said, they're things you're not supposed to get yourself uh, bunched up about things you should not be freaking out too much over, things that could go either way, right? So there are all kinds of things, uh, whether it, it has to do with, with styles of worship uh, or with uh, choices about your lifestyle or particular doctrines uh, that are not essential, things where people can ha- reasonably have conversations and come to different points of view. There are things you're really not supposed to let yourself get too worked up over. The problem of course, is knowing which things are essential and which things you shouldn't get worked up over, because there are some things that you clearly ought to be worked up over, and there are some things that you shouldn't, and part of the problem with adiaphora is figuring out which things are adiaphora, and the fact is people disagree on those. Um, And one of the reasons that it's hard for us to wrap our heads around this uh, has to do with the way we often think about religion, especially those of us who are Protestants, uh, who are American Protestants, who are people who are kind of the children of the Enlightenment. And, and Nathan Hall last week had a really good insight uh, that uh, he shared with me after the service uh, when, when he said a part of the issue that may have been going on in Rome with the people who were uh, th- that Paul was, was talking to, uh, and you had different people who had different practices that they, they found to be either essential or, or, or uh, impermissible, uh, was the fact that so much of this was tied into who they were and the lives that they lived, and their sense of identity as people coming out of a particular cultural and a particular religious background. right? So we often think about religion in terms of what are the things that you believe, right? Or, or what are the, what are the things that that you are committed to in terms of, of what you believe about God or what you believe? about uh, human sinfulness and how that needs to be dealt with. Or we might think about uh, religion, so to speak, as what kind of relationship do we as individuals have with God? But we often, again, this is, comes, I think, by virtue of the fact that we are uh, Americans living in the 21st century, most of us, um, we're not often thinking about religion, about faith, in the way that a first-century Roman would have been thinking about it. Because for them, for one, there was not sort of a radical differentiation between church and state, right? So if you are a Roman citizen, you are required to make sacrifices to the cult of Caesar, right? Caesar is treated as a god, and part of your life as a good citizen is supporting the cult of the emperor. That's just what you're expected to do, right? Um, whereas we couldn't possibly imagine doing that sort of thing, but folks then would have. But religion was also not only uh, tied into who you, what, what you did, uh, it had to do with, with who you were, who you understood yourself to be. And all of life, all of life as you lived it, was, was uh, uh, linked in with this understanding of your, your religious worldview. And so it, religion wasn't just about the services that you might participate in, uh, and it wasn't just about the festivals that you might observe from time to time. It had to do with things as, as, as fundamental to daily life as, as what you ate and how you ate it and what things you said before you ate, what, what your, your basic practices were. And as we talked about what, what you had going on in Rome, was you had people who were coming out of a Jewish background, right? Uh, uh, Jews were, back then as they are today, a minority that had certain uh, cultural practices that were linked to theological commitments that, s- that, that set them apart from the people around them, right? So as we, as we saw in the text, things like following uh, certain, certain days, as, as treating them as festivals treating uh, every every Sunday or, or Saturday a Sabbath, kosher, keeping kosher, following uh, laws about what foods you can eat um, and uh, and what foods you can't, right? Um, at the same time, you have people in, in the church in Rome who are coming out of a pagan background, who are Gentiles, uh, who are not part of that Jewish milieu, for, for whom their life of, of religious practice would have looked very different and, and would have involved things like participating in festivals where you would eat the meat that was sacrificed to the idol that was given to you by, uh, by the government or by a patron that may well have been pork because that was the cheapest food you could get. You can see how there would be a difference. And then when you get these folks together sitting at the same table... And you've got to figure out what the appetizer is. Things get interesting. So, uh, what we find here is that this idea of who you are is bound up with what you do, is bound up with what you believe. It's all kind of, of a piece. And if I can complicate this one more, in one more dimension, when you think about who you are, there's both an individual and a corporate component to that. There's who you are as an autonomous individual making decisions, bearing agency as a human being created in God's image. So you make decisions and you have moral responsibility. But there's also you created in God's image, God living eternally in community, you living in community, you being part of the people that you're part of, part of the culture that you're part of, living in the world that you're living in. Uh, and, and you have that corporate Aspect your identity as well. Are we confused enough yet? Good. Let's let's open the open the text up and take a look again. Chapter fourteen of Romans. I'll just start. uh, I'll just start from the beginning. We'll get a running start to uh, verses thirteen to eighteen. Paul says, "Except the one whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters, one man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables." The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another, another man considers every day alike. Well, each one of them should be fully convinced in his own mind, He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat does so to the Lord. He gives thanks to God. And the one who abstains, he also does so to the Lord, because he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. It's for this very reason that Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It's written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that nothing is unclean in itself, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, then you're no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. The kingdom of God is all about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. So we talked last week about what was going on here in Rome, right? One thing that was going on is you had some people who were observing holidays and other people who weren't, some people observing the Sabbath and others who weren't, some people keeping kosher and others who weren't, some people who would eat the meat that was sold in the markets that had been sacrificed to idols in the temples and some who weren't. But what we also had going on was that there were some people who were sitting in judgment on one another, some people who were condemning others, some people who were scorning them, treating them with contempt. We had people who felt humiliated by others. Which obviously is not the sort of thing we want to have going on. And so when we look at, at our text today, I want to look at the question of not what was happening, but let's look in this section, 13 to 18, what, what might happen. Paul is saying, okay, therefore... Here is how, here's, here's how I'd like you to, to proceed. What, what might people do, based on what Paul is saying here? I'll open up your Bibles, with a little Bible study here. If you don't have one, feel free to grab it out of the, out of the uh, pews. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. It's In the second half of the Bible, probably about two-thirds of the way through, maybe three-quarters. What are the things that could, people could do Right, So, like when Paul says, therefore let us stop passing judgment on each other, they could pass judgment on each other. Okay, so people could pass judgment. They could what? They could place an obstacle. In somebody's way. Uh, or another, uh, and similar, kind of similar word, stumbling block. Two very similar words don't get twisted up on the vocabulary there. Paul's really just making a rhetorical, using a rhetorical device here. Uh, what else? Right, yeah, you, you, what you could you do, you could quarrel, you, you could undermine the unity of the church. You could, people could be jerks. People could be insensitive. People could be ignorant. Yeah, some people could be getting 15 yards, unmerited, really not necessary for taunting. Just saying. What else? Specifically, let's look in this text, okay? Verses 13 to 18, right? Right, people could cause their good to be spoken of as evil right so that and, and, and I think there it's not so much uh, a matter of being critical it is it is uh, the thing that you think is good uh, by, by you by you practicing it ends up being cause for uh, for for good uh, uh, Basically, you're commuting for Jesus to get a lousy reputation. Yep. So, Beth, were you about to say something? You could destroy God's work. Probably the sort of thing we ought to avoid. Okay, what else? And, and how specifically would you destroy God's work? According to the text here in verse 16? Verse, I'm uh, verse, oh, sorry, 15? Mm -hmm. Right, you'd be destroying God's work by destroying your brother, Paul says, or your sister. Right, that you could do those things, yep. Yeah, you could just, you know, cause distress to your brother or sister. Anything else? When you cause distress, you cause the you unintentionally but uh that person to like not be able to complement or okay because Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? Yep, Matt. Although distress does not come before destroyed in the dictionary. Matthew? Maybe yeah. Let's, we'll, we'll we'll try to we'll try to unpack that some. Uh, wh- one more thing that, uh, that we're missing here that Paul's talking about. Uh, actually, more than one. A couple more things that you could do. Yeah, Nathan. Right. So you could um, please God. Right. It's another way to pronounce it. Uh, and you could make others think that God is deeply, deeply disappointed in them. That he's really, he looks on them and he just says, ah. Chris? Uh, yes, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yep. But just looking specifically in this text, a couple more things that he talks about. We'll get there. It, just in the text, order, there are a couple, couple things we're missing. You're right. You, thank you. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Okay. Thank you. Okay. You're right. You could place a stumbling block or not place a stumbling block. BJ, you're you're killing my mojo. I was about to make a big deal about this, but that's okay. What, what what else in here? You could no longer act in love. Yes, right. He says if your brother is distressed by what you eat, what you, what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. So you could fail to act in love. And one more thing, right at the end. No? Yeah, you could make um, God look like a moron. You could ruin God's rep. And he's more than 16, so he does have a rep. Right? If, if you are doing something that is approved by men, then you have the opportunity to enhance God's reputation. But you could do the opposite. And that, that was what I was going to get to, BJ, and I'm, I just, I'm giving you a hard time because you're Canadian. But um, So you, can, you could place an obstacle, or you could not place an obstacle. You can pass judgment, or you cannot pass judgment. You can be a jerk, or not, most of us. You could undermine unity, or not undermine unity. You can cause good to be spoken of as evil, or you cannot do that. You can fail to act in love, or not fail to act in love. That is to say, you can act in love, and so on, and so on, and so on, right? So we've got a whole lot of potential results from the way we handle this stuff, right? And, and, and as Paul was talking about in the passages we looked at the last couple weeks, I mean, what's at stake here is nothing less than what Christ died and rose again for. Uh, so, so this is probably pretty important that, that we try to do this um, in a way that, that is uh, that's responsible. And so, when we think about the kind of religious choices we might make, what we're thinking about is not just stuff that we might, as Protestants, normally have come to mind. Do we have a right relationship with God? Or Is our conscience clear? Are we being ashamed of ourselves for the things we've done? Are we doing the right thing? Do we feel guilty? And so on and so forth. That that's not a real big part of what, what Paul is talking about here, is it? Paul seems to be oriented in, in a different direction. And see, all of these really do raise questions of our fundamental identity, of who we are and how we're going to live as people individually, as responsible agents, and how we live in community. I want to illustrate this with a picture that uh, was taken on Friday night at History Club. For those of you who do not know what History Club is, History Club is uh, every second Friday, a bunch of guys get together and they uh, smoke cigars and eat unhealthy food and drink all kinds of interesting things, and they study things like the second volume of the Oxford History of the United States. Uh, In this case, they're studying the second volume because they had already gone through the first. These were a bunch of people who dug history, found it interesting, liked getting together with some other guys to talk about it, and started doing that. If you had told me two years ago when this started that this was going to take off, I would have said that you were nuts. In fact, I did think it was nuts. I agreed to come like once to be nice. Turns out (laughs) this thing's been a blast and we have a good time. So Friday night uh, as you'll see, uh, oh, do we have that little pointer thing? Let me see if that can, th- that might help us. Because there's some things I want to point out. Is that, is that hiding back there, guys? See if the little magic laser pointer is back there. Or if anybody else has a portable laser pointer that you're not using to, to uh, distract helicopter pilots, uh, feel free to bring that up. Uh, so this is, the, this is the scene at Tim Fales' house. And Tim and Beth Fales' house on Friday night. Um, And what you see going on here... Oh, thank you. So, oh, uh, we got that. Uh, I'll I'll go digital rather than analog on this. So, do do I need to take this down so you guys can see the picture? Okay. So, uh, you'll see a number of things. Now, when usually when we think about causing people to stumble, we think about things in this picture like this. This is our associate pastor, Joe Miller, filling a pipe with tobacco, right? We might think of things like these glasses that have beverages, some of them alcoholic in them. We might think about this can of Coke, real Coke. Don't tell Mayor de Blasio, don't tell Mayor Bloomberg, this is real Coke, which is full sugar, and there are people in this room who have difficulty with obesity. And we have these Coke, we have, we have these empty plates, which used to hold uh, really unhealthy slices of pizza. We have this book here that's in my lap. That uh, There are people who have the vice of withdrawing from the world around them and just reading their books and not paying enough attention to the people who are in their lives that they're supposed to be caring about. We have uh, this uh, ugly guy here wearing a ravens jersey some people would say that uh, there is such a thing as excessive devotion to one's football team uh, and that you shouldn't be spending money on tickets and jerseys that you could give to poor people there is and not you can't see them in this picture there are people here uh, two two of them uh, one of whom was taking the picture who serve as officers in the national guard there is a a rich strain of christian tradition that says jesus said turn the other cheek so you really shouldn't be serving in any kind of army. So, Kevin works for the Defense Department, and Emily works for the Defense Department, and the people who are serving as officers in the National Guard, they really shouldn't be doing this kind of thing. And that could cause somebody to stumble if that person... (laughs) (coughs) Yes? Let's say somebody had too much of a, a militaristic or aggressive bent they might find this, this atmosphere to be one that was uh, particularly conducive to those kinds of vice. And there are people in this room who have difficulty uh, recovering from substance addiction. Uh, so we would say, well, you know, it might be difficult to uh, avoid causing somebody to stumble if you've got all these ashtrays around when there are people who are trying to quit smoking. or if you and, and you can't really see, I, I mean, you sort of can see because the picture is kind of clouded. It was... Um, until Tim opened the window, it really was, was uh, smoky in there. Uh, and then you have people who are, who are trying to uh, recover from uh, addiction to substance abuse, and they walk in and there's a whole counter full of bottles of, of booze. I mean, what, what are we doing? How could anybody who's part of this church be part of this sort of thing, let alone the pastor with this lit cigar in his hand? But if Paul were to look at this scene, what do you think his eye would be drawn to? Who said that? I think if Paul looked at this, his eye first would be drawn right here. Why would that be? Matthew Winter, very good. Why, why would that be? Because it's bright. Okay, so <laughs> Paul was attracted to bright, shiny objects. All right, let's pray. Yeah. no. Because it's a what? Pagan. Because it's a pagan symbol. Yeah, where did the Christmas tree come from? Germany, Germany right? And wh- wh- what was the whole idea with the Christmas tree? Christmas tree? Right, I mean, it's an evergreen, right? So when you're celebrating the winter solstice, you're celebrating the fact that life is continuing to go on, even though there's all this snow on the ground and everything is dead. you got these trees that still are green, like the evergreen. And what you would do uh, to be really festive about it is you would put um, candles on said tree, uh, people soon realized that there are safer ways to make this bright and festive um, and, uh, and, and did so. But, but really, this is one of the things that Martin Luther did when, when he was trying to figure out, okay, how do we do, how do we live as followers of Jesus in this world where people like to take trees, uh, put handles on them, and use those to celebrate this pagan holiday— that happens to fall around the same time as we celebrate the Feast of the Incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know what we'll do. I'm going to take this sucker. I'm going to make it a Christmas tree. I'm going to call it Tannenbaum. Now, it's ours. I'm going to grab it, and I'm going to make it ours. Could this have been a problem for anybody? Right, The tree, for example. Right? Who? Okay. The the people in China who made it, uh, no, but, but for, whom, for whom could this be a problem? For former pagans. Let's say you've got pagans who, are, who see this, and, and that brings to mind all the pagan revelry they would have been involved in when they celebrated their solstice. Yeah, exactly, and eating, eating all kinds of unhealthy food and talking about history, which is you know, what people do when they celebrate holidays. Uh, right, this, this is the sort of thing that Paul, and again, this, this is not the way we usually think about this. So uh, we're going to be working on this for a few more weeks. I, I, I think this, this may be uh, throwing a wrench in the way a lot of us have traditionally thought about this particular passage and the, and the, the things that, that Paul is concerned about here. Paul, in this passage, is not primarily concerned about particular behaviors that may or may not affect your health that may or may not affect uh, your uh, uh, addictions or the things that you might tend to do that would get you in trouble. Paul is not worried about people bringing out a jar of pickles among a group of people, some of whom have gout, right? What Paul is concerned about is practices that are deeply rooted in your understanding of who you are and what community you're part of and how you relate to God. Paul is not primarily concerned about particular behaviors. He is concerned about how you live as a child of the one true God or how you're having difficulty with that because of what your life was like when you were not. So, What Paul is primarily interested in doing here is challenging the Romans to think about what it means for them to deal with these questions you have to deal with. Will you eat meat or not? Will you work on the Sabbath or not? To think about those as people who are part of this community of Jesus' people and to live that way with other people who are coming in from different backgrounds and to do so in a way that avoids all these things that we shouldn't be doing that would be detrimental to the health of the body, to the health of other people and to God's reputation and to do things that are going to, to improve on this community that God has, has given, that are going to please God they are going to enhance his reputation, they are going to enable us to act in love toward one another. In short, what Paul is talking about, what Paul is challenging this community to do, is to grow up. See, Paul is very adamant when he says, look, I am firmly convinced, there is no, no doubt in my mind, that it does not matter whether you take a tree and you put tinsel all over it, and you link that to the celebration of the incarnation of our Lord, or at least he would if he were to show up here. Paul could not care less whether a particular hamburger or pork sausage has been sacrificed to an idol, because he knows that idols are nothing, and that's a bunch of nonsense. Paul sees these as, as absolutely neutral questions theologically. But in terms of the life of the community, they are loaded, and they have to be handled well. And what he is challenging his congregation in Rome to do is to grow up. He's challenging the people who are weak, so to speak, in their theological understanding to grow in that understanding so that they can see things as they are And he's challenging the people who are, quote-unquote, strong and who get the theology right, but who are being perfect jerks to their neighbors to grow up and to be the kind of responsible members of community that they ought to be. In short, he is saying, you are people who are made in God's image. Grow into that reality. And in the next two weeks, what we're going to talk about is the communal and the individual dimensions of that. What that looks like in terms of our life and community and what that tra- looks like in terms of what goes on in our own crazy heads. All right? Let's pray. Lord God, we are grateful for the things that you have given us, most especially the wisdom that you give us in, in your word and the way that you challenge us, the way that you force us to look at things in, in ways that are different from what we, what we are accustomed to. We pray, Lord, that we would not come, to your, not come to your word, not come to the text with our own questions that we demand that you answer the way we want you to. But that we would be willing to receive the questions and the answers that you provide for us. That we would translate them into our own situation but, but only after we first understand them in the one where you gave them. And we pray that as we do this difficult but important work that uh, you would continue to illuminate us by your Holy Spirit As we read and wrestle these questions individually and as we do that uh, in community with one another, we're grateful that you have given us this community at New Hope where we can do this. All this we lift up to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.